Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey. And I'm Aubrey, and we are so excited for you to listen to today's episode Mm. because Dr. Matthew Sleeth is here. And let me tell you, his story, your conversation with him is a deeply, deeply moving one. Dr. Matthew Sleeth is a former emergency room physician, chief of hospital medical staff. He resigned from his position to teach, preach, and write about faith and health. Matthew has spoken at more than 1,000 churches, campuses, and events. He's a monthly guest preacher at the Washington National Cathedral. Wow. And listen to this. He's been recognized by Newsweek as one of the nation's most influential Christian leaders. Wow. Wow. He's also the executive director of Blessed Earth. He's the author of a number of articles and books. And listeners, you are going to be just deeply moved, deeply blessed by Matthew Sleeth. I have been wanting to have Matthew Sleeth on the podcast for a long time. Because I Have heard you? him, I heard him at a pastor's uh, kind of roundtable, almost like retreat conference kind of thing, and yeah. I was blown away. First of all, just from his perspective, by his knowledge, mm-hmm. but he particularly spoke on the Sabbath, which really shaped a lot of my beliefs on the Sabbath. Him and and another guy have really shaped a lot of that and even shaped some of the things that we teach in the Pain to Purpose course on the Sabbath. So I've been wanting to have him on. And man, when we got the the green light, I was like, I'm pumped. Here we go. And you're going to love this. You're going to love this conversation. such a good conversation. Davey, let me read a new review that we got from a listener. This is a really good one. Uh, The title is Amazing. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Can't go wrong with that, right? (laughs) Uh, Here's what it says. These podcasts have helped me through some of my darkest days. Mm. It is so comforting to hear the stories of others who have gone before me on some painful paths. Thank you for taking what the enemy intended for evil and using it for good. God is using your ministry in profound ways. Wow. 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 Thank you so much to Mm -hmm. that listener who left left that review. We want to invite you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We would very much appreciate it. We love, we're so encouraged every time we get to read these reviews. We also want to thank our sponsor of this particular episode, Dwell Daily Ministries. Dwell Daily Ministries helps women to find freedom in God from their hurt and pain through dwelling with Him, dwelling with their own stuff, and once they've been able to find that freedom, they're able to uh, they're able to dwell with others and be be able to support each other and uh, live this life of freedom. They have a podcast called the Dwell Daily Podcast, where they share stories of hope, insight on dwelling in hard situations. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram by searching Dwell Daily Ministries or at www.dwelldailyministries.com. There they have classes, Bible groups, marriage groups spiritual mentoring, and more. We want to thank you, Dwell Daily Ministries, for sponsoring this episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Be sure to stick around after this interview. Davey and I are going to talk about some of the things that stood out to us and some of the things that the Lord brought up as we listened to Dr. Sleeth. And let's go ahead and listen to Davey's conversation with Matthew Sleeth. Well, Dr. Sleeth, it is an absolute honor to have you with me on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. 
Thanks for having me. Well, I, I, we talked a little bit off air, but I just want our listeners to understand what a special moment this was for me. I don't remember if it was 2014 or 2015. I can't recall at the time, but I know it was not too, uh, not too long before my, my wife was killed that I heard you speak at a workshop for Wesleyan pastors at Indiana Wesleyan University. And you were talking about the concept of 24-6, which was your work on the Sabbath. And it was pivotal for me. Um, and, uh, you know, many of our listeners are going to know about and be familiar with our pain to purpose course and the pathway that we take people on, but it was very instrumental in helping me to heal from the crisis and tragedy that my life would see in a couple of years, uh, following that and, and then how to kind of create rhythms for ongoing wholeness. And so, man, I just want to thank you. This is a special honor for me to have you as a guest on this podcast. Well, it's, it's always delightful to, to hear that your your work has done something. So I, I appreciate the encouragement. Well, I would highly recommend everybody to read 24-6. And maybe we'll talk about a little bit of those concepts here in this, but you have uh, come out with another work. And uh, this one is, I mean, just as significant, just as pivotal, especially in this season that we've been going through. And you're really helping uh, the church and really just church culture to kind of get underneath and have an understanding of, of mental health and what we should do about it. Um, will you tell me just a little bit, first of all, before we dive into all of this, tell me what you do. Tell me a little bit about Dr. Matthew Sleeth and, uh, and, and so we can get some context for where we're going to go here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a loaded question, wasn't it? What do you do? Tell me about yourself. <laughs> you know, when I, I became a Christian late in life, and I was... Uh, 47, 48 years old when I picked up a Bible for the first time and read it. And when I read it, I was chief of staff at the hospital, head of the emergency department, um, you know, a, a weeby bad kind of ER doctor mm -hmm. <laughs> and everything. And the Lord called me out of that into what I'm doing now. And my daughter uh, used to say that the hardest thing to answer was... What does your dad do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she said before it was so uh, simple, and afterwards it's like, well, he's trying to serve God, and he's, yep. he's you know. So um, what I do is uh, to, I think a lot of what I do boils down to trying to bring up things to the church, mm. which either the church has forgotten or they haven't seen in Scripture, and yeah. in other words, calling him back to. Um, the Sabbath, I, I wrote a book on trees in the Bible hmm. because <clears throat> trees are the most mentioned living thing in Scripture other than God and people, right? Um, et cetera. And, and so, um, and the, the latest book is called Hope Always, and hmm. the subtitle is How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. And again, the, the average person uh, who goes to church <clears throat> has never heard a sermon mm. on on suicide, mm. um, and yet the Judeo Christian uh, theology, uh, Christian theology, is the only theology that explains where suicide comes from. Yeah, and um, and and really has a lot of the tools. Um, to help people through very hard times. And so that, that's a long question. I don't have a yeah. short elevator uh, answer <laughs> uh, for it. Yeah. But in, in, in other words, I think the Lord gives me very difficult things yeah. to do, and yet 
um, because of that, I get to see the Holy Spirit at work. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and I get to see mountains moved <laughs> right, occasionally. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, what I found was so fascinating when I first heard you about the work that you do is that, you know, you have these years of experience um, as an ER doctor and, and, and seeing patients as they're coming in in, in crisis. And, mm-hmm. and you were kind of noticing like, wait, like this, even though we're, even though we see this as, as a commonality, it seems like we see high stress levels, we see, you know, uh, chronic disease, we see heart issues, we see all these kinds of things all the time, and especially Western American culture. Um, it's, it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. And we're, there's, a certain, there's a certain way about our lifestyle that it seems to be contributing to all of this stuff. And, 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 then, and then when you started bringing out the truths of Scripture and how Scripture speaks to those things, it was just, it was such a paradigm shift for me, you know? Um, so t- tell me a little bit about your, your experience with that and what was like some of these discontents that caused you to go out of the work that you were doing and stepping into the work that you do now. Well, I mean, the most important thing is that I became a follower of Christ. Mm. And, and if you had met me, you know, uh, b- before that, you would have put all of your money on, this is a guy who's never going to kind of flip here, you know. Um, wow. I was an atheist, oh, uh, wow. secular humanist, etc. And And frankly, my coming into being a, a Christian had to do with, with pain and bad mm. stuff. And what, um, what happened was that w- my wife and I were living the American dream, which is how can you avoid pain? Yeah. How can you live in the nicest place, send your kids to the best school, go on the best vacations, etc. And in the midst of that, bad things started happening. And the mm. first thing was that my wife's brother drowned in front of my children. Oh my goodness. And it had a profound effect on my children and it had a profound effect on my wife and my wife got depressed wow. and she wouldn't get treated. And, um, and then just kind of one after another thing happened and I had a patient who became obsessed with me and began to stalk me mm. and do scary stuff. And then one day the police went and checked on him and found his mother in the closet where he had taped her up and beaten her to death Goodness. and been sprinkling carpet freshener on her for a week. Um, and, and just, just all kinds of stuff that I can't share because mm-hmm. it's just, it's family stuff and everything. And then sort of the, 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 the last thing was that I got home from work, uh, on a, um, <clears throat> in, in the morning on a beautiful fall day. And, and everyone remembers what the sky was like on that fall day because it was September 11th, 2001. Yeah. And I was kind of dozing on the couch and my wife walked in um, and said, something really bad is happening in New York. Let's turn on the television. And we watched as this unfolded and we kind of turned the television off and my neighbor called me and she had a son uh, my son's age, they'd kind of grown up together. Yeah. And she said, I need your help. I have to get Jamie from school and tell him his father was in the first plane. Oh, my goodness. And uh, what happened was that I woke up to the fact that there was evil on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And evil does not 
fit a secular humanist scientific paradigm because it's a spiritual concept. And so I, I reasoned, well, if there's this evil here, where does the good come from? And, and I was an ER doctor and ER medicine is good. (laughs) You know, I, I used to kind of marvel, um, when we'd have a, a trauma code of a Jane or a John Doe, you know, if you're out jogging and a car hits you, you don't necessarily have your wallet with you. Right. No one knows who you are. You, you come into the emergency department and you can look around and there could be 10 or 15 people all with, you know, hundreds of years of combined experience throwing every resource they have at you to save you. Yeah. And you don't even have a name. And that is good. (laughs) And if you don't think God was there, (laughs) you don't know what God's about. So, um, And so I knew there was good. And so I read through the Ramayana and the Bhagavad Gita and the Koran and and a number of other books, and I didn't find an an answer really that satisfied me. And then one day I was in the emergency department. It was a Sunday morning. Things were really slow, and I needed something to read. I'm a voracious reader. And I went out looking in the waiting room, and here was an orange book. It said Holy Bible on it. Hmm. And I went, you know, I have never read this, and we don't own one. We had a library in our home, but, but we don't own one of these. Wow. And there's no way I can finish it before the first patient comes in, so I stole it. <laughs> and uh, I wonder, I, I'm sure God forgives stealing a Bible, right? I mean, that's... Uh, oh, he baited know, the, the trap. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, I, and I met... And I met Christ. Um, it, mm. It's called prevenient grace in, yeah. in Wesleyan theology, and that's the grace that God extends to you before you know it. And, and that, in that instance, my parents named me Matthew, and if they'd named me Numbers, we wouldn't be talking. So <laughs> I started at the book of Matthew. Wow. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, man. And so then you just started, as you started diving into Scripture, you started seeing these things. I mean, obviously, you're, you, you can tell you're very... You're very much someone who gets underneath a lot of things and begins to, you know, analyze it and have understanding. Like you said, you're a voracious reader. You don't just take things at face value. And as you started diving into God's word, some things started really popping up to you. Some, some, some truths, some paradigm shifts. Um, explain some of those things and and why it shifted you quite a bit. Well, I. I think that the first thing and the first piece of scripture that really hit me was Matthew 7, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, it. It says that we're always wanting to get a, a speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. Meanwhile, there's a two-by-four in our own. And mm. by the way, I started life as a carpenter. For seven years, I built houses before I went to college. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, and I, I recognized a carpenter telling a joke, you know, mm-hmm. and and Jesus says, "Fool, hypocrite! You got you got to get the log out of your own eye, then you'll be given, you know, the ability to help other people with their specks in their eye." And so, um, incidentally, uh, a piece of trivia: that is the only uh, piece of scripture that I know that was rewritten by a non-Christian and is better known than the original. Mm. Gandhi rewrote that, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. And he gives credit to Matthew 7 in his autobiography. Mm. Wow. Um, and so the first thing that I came to is we got to change our lives. Yeah. We have to be the change 
you know, that we, we want to see. And I think the world goes at a crazy, crazy pace. Yeah. And, and so the first, if you will, spiritual discipline that we instituted was Sabbath mm. uh, in our lives. And I, um, I believe that was not me. That was divinely inspired yeah. uh, to do that. Yeah. Um, it is a, it is a, it becomes a piece of armor around you, actually, right, right. Uh, as you go forward. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, I, I, I want to, at some point, at a later date, I want to sit down with you for our listeners' sake and talk about Sabbath and especially, you know, your work 24-6. It was so profoundly impacting, you know, in my life. Um, and that's something that we really emphasize in our ministry. But, but one of the things that you're also now talking quite a bit about with this release of this new book is just mental health in general, particularly pertaining to suicide. And um, I would love to just kind of hear a little bit about, you know, what, what you have begun to dive into as you've studied this and, you know, how, how the church is right now, it seems to be uh, kind of inept to be able to know how to deal with this, you know, and, 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 and let's, let's dialogue about that a little bit. Sure. Well, if if you're gonna approach any problem, you have to know how bad it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when it comes to suicide, um, in the coming year, ten million Americans are going to wrestle with whether or not to take their own lives. Ten million. Wow. And of that ten million, one and a half million are going to end up in an emergency department, being treated, evaluated, etc. And despite all the advances in medicine, every 11 to 12 minutes, we lose somebody to suicide in this country. Yeah. So the, the first thing you want to know, well, well, how bad is that? <laughs> numbers are numbers, you know, and, right. and, and numbers are hard to, you know, feel at the heart level or whatever. Right. So um, talk about nothing is wasted. I had 11 classes in statistics, uh, mostly graduate. And, uh, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you just a little bit. Don't worry, there's no, no higher math involved or anything. Um, and, and just kind of look at that. So suicides are measured in the number per 100,000 per year. And that's so you can tell are things getting better or worse? Can right. you compare to another um, country, etc.? So right now in the United States, we're at 14 and a half uh, suicides per 100,000 people per year. Mm. Well, what does that mean? Again, you know, what does it mean? Well, the highest level that we've ever been is 14 and a half per 100,000 yeah. um, per year. And that, that number was reached during the Great Depression. Mm. But here's where the nothing is wasted part, the 11 classes in statistics yeah. begin to kick in, because those two statistics are, have no similarity whatsoever. And yeah. here's why. In 1930, it was pretty easy to kill yourself. If you overdosed on something, the, the majority of homes in the United States didn't even have a phone to call for help. Right, right. Most towns didn't have an ambulance service. Yeah. And if you lived in a town with an ambulance service and you happened to have a phone, most hospitals didn't have emergency departments. Yeah. And so um, today we can summon a helicopter or an ambulance with our uh, something, a phone in our pocket, mm -hmm. 
an ambulance brings more life-saving, you know, uh, equipment <laughs> and technology to the scene than an entire hospital had in the 1930s. Right, right. And so um, the the real question is, of that million and a half people who are going to end up in emergency departments, what would happen if all we had was 1930s technology? Wow. And we would go immediately to somewhere between 200 to 300 per 100,000 wow. per year. And, it, and now it gets worse. In 1930, if somebody uh, was found dead on a floor with a heroin syringe uh, next to them, that was classified as a suicide. Today, unless there specifically is a suicide note, yeah. we count all of those as accidents. Yeah. So just add those back in, and we'd go up over 50 uh, per 100,000. But it gets worse. In 1930, people knew why they were depressed. The stock market had collapsed. Yeah. The banking system had collapsed. Those are two separate things. And the economy had collapsed. One in four people are out of work. And the environment had collapsed. This is the era of the Dust Bowl. Right. Um, millions of farmers are losing their farms. We're having storms in Oklahoma that are coating the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. in dust. So people knew why they were depressed. If you ask the average person today, they don't know. Yeah. And it gets worse. <laughs> in 1930, there was no treatment for depression. Uh, insulin shock therapy hadn't even come about yet. Today, one in eight Americans are taking an antidepressant. One in eight adult Americans are kind of permanently on an antidepressant. Yeah. And so if you really look at the real numbers of 300 plus per 100,000 suicides per year, unless you have technology, we're looking at a situation society's never seen. Right. Any society in all of history. Yeah. And so... The first thing is, like, how bad is the situation? It's never been encountered before. Mm. Um, and then, you know, really the question is, what is the church doing about it? And I preached uh, not that far from you uh, a month or two ago, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which for your listeners who aren't familiar is a gigunda right. um, huge. A church. Yeah. I think it's the fifth largest in the U.S. now or something like that. And I asked people, first, I asked uh, early into my sermon, I asked how many of you have been affected by suicide, meaning how many have lost a friend or family member, not an yeah. acquaintance, but a friend or a family member. Half the hands went up. Wow. And then I asked 15, 20 minutes later, I said, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on this? And it's an eerie thing to be inside a gigantic auditorium like yep. that with everyone looking around yep. and not one single hand went up. Wow. Wow. So the church has completely checked out yep. on this. Yep. The interesting thing is that up until about a century ago, the church was the only institution in Western society charged with preventing suicide, and they did a better job mm. than, than our modern uh, $4 trillion a year medical system in the United States is doing of preventing suicide. Mm. So I gotta, I've got this feeling the church has to get back in the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here, we can't outsource right. this one. Right. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the case for really just addressing uh, pain in general. You know, um, it's one of the things that we find as well as, you know, as I travel and speak, I'm, I'm realizing that it, it's very, very few and far between that a lot of like the church as a whole is giving people permission to really start unpacking the pain that they're experiencing. We either whitewash it or we don't want to address it whatsoever. And we're not creating cultures where it's a, it's a safe space to come forward with your pain for a lot of reasons. My question to you would be, if we're, if we're seeing that, uh, based on your assessment, based on what you've observed, what, why do you think that is the case? Why do you think the church has been mum on this and and what, and, and, you know, uh, like, what is it systemically? What's going on there? I think, um, that, what has happened is that we have developed uh, a a church that says um, it's all about having a great time now, mm. um, and that we we go to church to have our ears tickled, yeah, right, <laughs> as right. it were. And I was in a meeting a few months ago with a pastor who I was saying, "Can I come to your church?" And, and preach, and, and I'd been there before, but, and there's another mega church. Yeah. And the pastor said, you know, I'd love to do that, Matthew, but um, he said, we had a strategic meeting here, and we thought we might lose someone if we ever used the word suicide, so we don't use that word oh, inside goodness. church now. Wow. Here's the interesting thing. If you go to the Bible, <laughs> yeah. as far as I know, our, the Bible is the only sacred text that says where suicide comes from. You see, suicide is a uniquely human activity. There's no animal model of suicide. There's never been a zebra that woke up one morning and said, to heck with it, I won't run from the lion today. You have to have a mind, a body, and a soul Mm. uh, uh, in order to be affected by this. And if we look in Scripture right there on the first page, Adam and Eve are told by God, if you do this one thing, you'll be committing suicide. You will, quote, surely die. And Adam and Eve not only did that, um, but there's this shadowy figure named Satan that comes in and is pushing them. And if you just follow Satan through Scripture, that's his method of operation. He's trying to get Job to kill himself. Curse God and die, as the poetry of Job said. You don't curse God and your heart stops. He's trying to get Job to commit suicide. When, When Satan interacts even with Christ, one of his ploys is to get Christ to jump off a high place and kill himself. And when Satan enters into Judas, Judas betrays the Lord and commits suicide. And if you want to come at this from the back end, um, when Jesus has that scene um, uh, with that demoniac at Gerasenes, and this man is described as being naked, out of his mind, breaking the restraints people are trying to put him in. And Jesus takes the demons from that man and throws them in a herd of swine. And that herd of pigs do the one thing animals never do. They go and kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. And wow. so our Bible tells us where this is coming from. Wow. And so when we hide that answer, when we no mm. longer have it... And by the way, um, the first person to kind of quantify... Uh, this effect was Emil Durkheim. Uh, in 1897, I believe, he published his book about suicide. He was a French sociologist, and he found that committed Christians were four to six times less likely to take their own lives uh, mm. than an atheist. And that has been borne out in every piece of research done on it since then. Wow. Wow. 
So, you know, if that's the case, I mean, if we have the answer for it, if we have even some, some explanation behind it, we have kind of some, some root causes that we're able to bring forward out of, out of our scriptures, why are, why is the church staying silent still? I think I, I just ate breakfast with a pastor yesterday morning, went to a great seminary. I think this this particular person graduated at the top of their class. Yeah. I said, did you ever even have a single lecture on the theology of suicide? And he, and he said, no, and you've been to seminary, correct? Yeah. Well, I've been did to you Bible ever college, have a, didn't have one. Nope. Didn't have a lecture on it. We had and so, systematic theology and hermeneutics and how to preach and how to you know run business meetings at a church, but we didn't have anything on really the whole umbrella of mental health yeah. and pain and trauma, you know? And so... Um, and so people are loath to teach on something they've never heard about. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's right. why the average pastor is just like, they don't know. Yeah. And so this book I wrote as really a primer for the church on how to begin to get back into the game of this. And by the way, if we don't get back into the, the game of saving lives, right. and I shouldn't say game, back into the business, the business of, yeah. um, of uh, back into the calling of saving lives, my fear is that suicide will be normalized. And yeah. what I mean by that is yeah. that you'll be able to go down to the greeting card section of the store and get somebody a card that says, you know, in some Orwellian language, uh, something like, a, I want to support you in your life choice to mm. go to the next plane or something like that. I have to read you something. Yeah. I, I put an um, op-ed piece in our city paper uh, here uh, two, three weeks ago. And I want to read you the last line of it and the response from the uh, editorial uh, board there. Society can continue to try and prevent suicide by doing more of what is not working. But I believe it is time to start allowing things like faith, God, love, and even the concept of suicide as a moral wrong back into our approach to suicide prevention. Mm. Here was the response from the paper. Just read through the op-ed, and the only problem is at the end where he brings up suicide as a moral wrong, and they struck that out. Mm. I am not allowed to have an opinion in an opinion piece. Yeah. that suicide is a moral wrong and that we ought to be stopping 10-year-olds from doing it. Mm. Wow. It has been a long-time dream here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries to be able to make this announcement. So friends, I'm excited to finally share with you that the Nothing Is Wasted podcast has expanded to YouTube. Here's what that means. Run, don't walk, and search for the Nothing Is Wasted Ministries channel on YouTube to access upcoming podcast interviews as videos. It is going to create such a fun experience for you to see these interviews with the incredible guests we get to talk to as if you were in the room with us. What's even more exciting is that we have been backlogging videos of episodes for quite some time. That means we will be digging up episodes out of the archives and releasing them on YouTube as well. So you're going to want to subscribe and follow our channel to not miss reliving your favorite episodes now with video. We also plan on putting up a lot more content that you have never seen before. So pause this episode right now. Go to YouTube, search for Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, 
subscribe and follow before you forget. See you on YouTube. Well, you know, there's a lot of people right now, Dr. Sleeth, who are listening to this and they either know someone or they themselves, their experience, uh, where they find themselves in life right now, they they feel under the uh, the shroud and the cloak of this really deep, dark depression. They would probably qualify that they are experiencing some mental illness. They've had some thoughts of suicide ideation. Um, uh, there, and 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 to your point earlier, they don't really know why. They can't put their finger on it. You know, uh, like you said. Back in the 1930s, there was a lot of things that you could kind of stack up and go, well, here's, here's why some people are experiencing this. Now you're right. We're living in the land of opportunity. There seems to be so much abundance. There's so much, there's so much available to us. Uh, we're so connected with everybody, right? We have information and people mm -hmm. at our fingertips. And yet we feel completely isolated, completely alone, completely depressed, anxious. Can you put your finger on maybe why we're experiencing this? Cause I think it is helpful sometimes for us to step back and go, okay, maybe let's figure out why we we're experiencing this before we kind of figure out what we're going to do about it. Yeah. I think that what we're seeing, uh, uh, first of all, is that we've built a society that's unlivable. Mm, unpack that. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, we said we have all this information at our fingertips. Information is not wisdom. Mm. Uh, a phone in your pocket is not the same as somebody in the chair beside you and you're sharing your hearts. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we have unanchored society uh, from God mm. and, and we're seeing the results of that now. Yeah. Here's the good news though. We can we can reverse this. Yeah, uh, we can reverse it as individuals, and we can reverse it as uh, as a church society. And one of the things I did with this book, by the way, there's thousands of books about why people commit suicide. Mm. I wanted to know why is it that that people don't commit suicide. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you look at the church and you look at people who've wanted to commit suicide, first of all, we can open our Bible. Moses was there. Yeah. David was there. Yeah. Elijah, Elijah was there. Yeah. Jonah was there. Paul the Apostle was there. Right. Right. If we come forward out of the Bible, George Frederick Handel was there. C.S. Lewis was there. Right. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, struggled with depression his whole life. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to know, well, how is it that those people got through it? How is it that they were able to, in, in a sense, uh, you know, Mother Teresa, et cetera, these people really gave to society. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's interesting because when I wrote my first book, I gave an example of how, as a society, we have learned to go to the complete failures for yeah. answers. Yeah. Uh, and I gave as an example, there were, um, there were two books that were the most popular books on relationships at the time and how to do a relationship. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and making relationships work. Stephen hmm. Gray and Barbara D'Angelo, the authors of those. There's a relationship between the two of those. 
That was his fifth wife, and that was her third husband. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so we tend to go to failures. And so I, I did the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. I went to people who had gone through the dark night of the soul, gone yeah. through horrific experiences, and I learned from them what got them through. And that was every, everything from late teens up to 93 years old in wow. interviewing people. The number one reason that people gave for not committing suicide was fear, fear of the Lord, fear of consequences. And uh, fear is a great thing, but we don't preach fear in the church anymore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But fear keeps a child from running into the road. Fear keeps them from putting their hand on, on the stove. And fear of the Lord, the Bible says... Is the beginning of wisdom. That's right. the foundation of wisdom. Wow. And so that was the number one reason. And we should be afraid of an omnipotent God and want to figure out how can we get into a place where we have a right relationship yeah. with that, that God. Um, the number two reason they gave uh, was that they were concerned f- for the impact on those who would be left behind. I don't believe there is a more beguiling uh, quality of a Christian in, than that they care more about others than themselves. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the fundamental things that were keeping people alive, you can't even mention in church. Mm. 99% of Christian books are about how to help yourself, not somebody else. Right, right. Wow. Uh, and so uh, anyways... But so we have the knowledge, and we we have uh, the example in in Scripture of what what to do here. And by the way, Jesus made absolutely no distinction between mental and physical illness. Yeah, he approached each of them. As, as a matter of fact, if anything, he could be said to have gone out of his way uh, for those with mental illness. The 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 demoniac at Gerasenes I mentioned right. earlier. Jesus, a kosher rabbi, went out of Hebrew mm-hmm. territory to a stinking pig farm yeah. to minister to uh, mental illness. And so we, we have the tools, and in, in the book, I literally give people the sentences to, to use to begin a conversation with somebody, because you can literally save somebody's life here. Wow. Wow. It's an interesting topic that you bring up, the idea of fear, you know, and it being a great deterrent, um, you know, it really being something that catalyzes someone to decide, hey, I'm going to, I want to live. Um, you know, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that from people who, you know, we work with a lot of people who are going through grave, dark, dark nights of the soul. And as we're in conversations with them, as we're pastoring them, as we're coaching them, I've heard that very exact thing. And some might listen to that and in their mind have a dialogue with you and say, well, you know, a lot of my trauma, a lot of my pain is stemming from the fact that I feel like God is somebody to be feared, but, but the way they're seeing it is feared in an unhealthy way. You're talking about fear in a healthy way. Do you think you can kind of parse out the two of those for me and for the sake of our listeners right now? Sure. Um, I, I think that un, unhealthy fear and, you know, I, I fear a rabid dog. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, um, that's healthy because it's yeah, preventative, That's right? healthy, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You get away from the rabid dog yeah. and everything. Um, but the fear of the Lord is an understanding of what is great yeah. and what is powerful. 
and and you know just to change the mindset by the way the secular mindset that i was raised with uh was that you're here by accident mm. and nothing matters after this yeah. plane of existence yep but while you're here you better make yourself great as comfortable as, as you can as great as yeah. you can as prominent as you can as successful as you can right so yeah. so you can enjoy right the best that you know the planet has to offer right flip that over to you are the creation of an all-powerful god mm. who puts you here for a purpose right. and finding that purpose and living into it That's right. is the greatest joy that somebody can have yes and and so you know you, those are two completely different worldviews right. and 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 frankly um the, the longer I live with the God created me and he, and he made me for a purpose, life becomes this precious, precious thing yeah. that you want to give to others and, and, and help people experience, you know, the glory of living for God. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a difference in mindset, right. Um, really. Right. It seems paradoxical that the Christian life is calling us to become, as John the Baptist said, that, that we become less and less and that he become greater. And that that is actually the portal to us living in the most fulfill, fulfillment that we possibly can and, and living into purpose in, in, in an unprecedented way, right? And yet, if we try to do the opposite, where we boast of ourselves, make ourselves bigger, magnify ourselves, which is so much of what our culture tells us to do, tells us to do even in the little things like Instagram and, you know, uh, branding yourself and these kinds of things, that's what leads to a life that is empty and hollow and can, and lead us really quickly to these places of depression and mental health issues. It, and, and unfortunately the church has adopted a lot of the, you know, we have these super right. apostles and, and right. except, et cetera, et cetera. I remember my wife graduated from college years and years. My wife and I have been married for 40 years. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, and uh, my wife was graduating from college, and the person that gave the graduation speech was terrible. Mm. They didn't have a, they didn't have an outline. I mean, they didn't even have an outline. They wow. rambled. We thought they didn't know their audience at all. And this little old lady said, you know, your life will have no meaning whatsoever until you learn that you were put on this earth to serve others. Wow. Fast forward. I got asked to do my first, you know, graduation uh, speech at a, uh, um, a university, and I wrote to my wife's alma mater and said, did anybody copy down what Mother Teresa said in her graduation <laughs> speech? And they had. And you know that piece, that thing that I rejected as nonsense, yeah, yeah. was the truest words that probably anyone has ever spoken in a graduation speech. Wow. Not you can be the best, but yep. you can serve the most. That's great. Wow, that's so great. So, what do we do about this now? What's the prescription? Uh, and, and I'll ask the I'll ask it as kind of a twofold question. What's the prescription for those who are listening right now and they're experiencing this kind of this real deep dark night of the soul? 
You know, I mean, you're, you're a doctor and so you're used to giving people prescriptions or here's your diagnosis and here's what you need to do from here. here's a plan for you. Well, we'll be a doctor to our soul right now and give us that prescription. And then in a second, I'll ask, you know, what's the prescription for, for churches, for church leaders. So first sure. personally. So I think if you're an individual and you are struggling with depression or mental illness, the first thing I would reassure you is that God loves you as much as he loved Paul the Apostle or David or Elijah yeah. or George Frederick Handel or any of those you know, heroes of the faith, as it were. Um, mental illness is no different than physical um, in, in that it, it, it's all part of just the fallen state of, of humanity yeah. and that Christ was there with you. I mean... And and the Bible understands depression, and we, and 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 I think all those wonderful uplifting lines are wonderful. But you need to go and read Psalm eighty-eight occasionally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's where Simon and Garfunkel got "Hello Darkness, my yeah. old friend." You know, and um, that it doesn't mean that God isn't there with you, but you have an enemy. Yeah, and that enemy wants you to take a. A, a way out yeah. that isn't what God wants. So if you ever hear a voice telling you to kill yourself, that that is your enemy, that is Satan. You yeah. run from that voice. Yeah. And you do whatever you have to at that moment. If it's called 911 or called the National Suicide Hotline, which people should just put in their phone, which is 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255, if you have to, you know, grab grab for help. ERs are a lifeboat, and just go grab one. Um, people like me are there, and and they love taking care of sick people. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, there's there's nothing more thrilling, really, than being able to help somebody through those really really difficult moments right. in their life. Um, and so there's nothing to be ashamed of, and and and. Um, and the second thing I, I think is is that I I believe that you should begin to develop disciplines in your life which yeah. are life affirming and life giving. Right. If you went on to Netflix, and I just did this recently, and you can kind of put your cursor over each of the offerings, and they'll mm -hmm. give like a three three words that summarize, mm -hmm. and so many of them are dark, yeah. dystopian, yeah. Um, et cetera. You can't put garbage into your into yeah. your mind and hope to have roses come out right. the other right. end. Jesus says the eye is the is the window to the soul, and if your eye is dark, how dark your soul will be. In other words, if you're looking out at darkness, um, th there's it's really hopeless in a way, and so you need to begin to look on on what is is beautiful and true and pure yeah. and all those those things in uh uh listed in um uh Philippians 4:8 right right that's so good um in in the book hope always there's lists of what movies will bring you up what and and this isn't a Pollyannish, but it's right. an inspiring kind of lifting, and 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 what kind of uh, movies, books, uh, uh, music, etc. We are a product of what we put into ourselves, and I think um, birds of a feather flock together. Again, you want to get around people 
that that sharpen your skills of life and inspire you to go out and give um, that sort of thing and and just to know that God's always there with you and yeah. do whatever you have to to get through to the uh, the next day yeah. so many of these people the woman who was 93 related just this horrible thing that happened to her um, when she was about 40 and um, she just she really really came close to um, taking her own life and but she struggled through that and and a church community helped her do that and if you're not in a church that's there to help you through through the valley of the shadow of death. Right. You you're not in a church. Right. <laughs> Go find one that'll help you. Yeah. Um, and and then she said, and now I've had almost fifty years of the most wonderful life, you know. Wow. And so it's to reassure you that there's something on the other side of this. Yeah. Um, and then to the church, I I think we need to begin to to welcome people and to worry less about. Uh, certain things and more about when somebody walks into a church and I recount in the book uh, a time of doing this being at a church with 10,000 just at one service and it emptied out and the worship leader who'd flown in from London and I are looking at each other and there wasn't a soul that had asked us out to eat. Wow. Imagine if you came in there looking for fellowship. Yeah. yeah what that uh, feels like. So I think churches need to start worrying more about mm. what's for lunch after church. <laughs> mm. wow. wow. You know, than, than some of those other things. Uh, and, and it can be pizza. It doesn't matter. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> when, uh, when Abraham ran out to the angels, he went back and they, uh, <clears throat> they offered a cheeseburger. You know, it was veal, <laughs> bread, and cheese, you know. That's right. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and so I think the church has to begin to, to realize that they have the answers, they have power here, yeah. and, uh, and the, and the Secular people are looking for this. Suicide hurts so much. The families are devastated. And uh, we need to begin to give answers. And that's not to put down traditional medicine at all. If somebody is is taking uh, medicine for psychiatric reasons, never stop that without your prescriber saying that's okay. But use every tool at your disposal to get through it, just as you would with cancer. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Dr. Sleeth, this has just been an incredible conversation, and uh, I'm so grateful for you giving us the time to to discuss these things. I want to make sure everybody goes and picks up Hope Always, How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. And um, I, is there is there ways that we can follow what you're doing? Have you, have, you have a website? You have um, Are you on any of the social channels that we can kind of follow along stuff? I have a website. Supposedly, I have a Twitter thing. I have <laughs> people who work for me do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, MatthewSleethMD.com okay. or BlessedEarth.org okay. um, would be that. Or if you forget those, Google, uh, Google my name. It'll... it'll you know, suck you into one one of those yeah. things. And the one thing I would tell people is, um, if if somebody doesn't have the money for this book, you write to me. I'll send you one. Mm. Or if somebody's so running a so. ministry, we just got a, a place that has thirteen to eighteen year olds uh, women coming out of prostitution. They needed fifty books. Wow. You just you just write 
and you're in a prison ministry or something, you, you let us know. That's great. We'll, we'll get behind you. That's great. Well, if you're listening to this in real time, right as we release it, be on the lookout because we'll be giving away a copy of this book as well on our social media. And um, But man, Dr. Slee, thank you so much. This has just been an honor. Uh, likewise, and, and bless you and your listeners. And, and really, if somebody's out there hanging on by your fingernails, just, just uh, grab on to the things we've talked about. Another incredible conversation, Davey. I yeah. loved learning from Matthew Sleeth. I can see why when you first heard him, you would want to have him on the podcast because yeah. such a man of wisdom and experience, obviously. And I mean, it's right. interesting too, like talking about something as really tender as suicide yeah. from a doctor's perspective. From a medical perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hearing his, hearing his uh, expertise on that was really fascinating. And then, and that he's a pastor Right. And I thought what he brought up about the church sort of being unwilling to talk about suicide was really, um, right. Right. I think, convicting. Well, you know, I can, on one hand, I can see it. I can understand mm -hmm. because, you know, we work with pastors all the time and mm -hmm. consistently pastors are asking us, what do we do to help people in pain? Yeah. And suicide is one of those topics that pastors, uh, they try to, they skirt around. They're not going to talk about it a whole lot because mm -hmm. for whatever reason, we always feel like as pastors or as people, as we're walking with people, we always feel like we have to have some kind of explanation. Like we right. have to have some kind of a theological construct right. to be able to bring forward to this person as if that explanation is going to help somebody in the midst of their pain, as if it's right. going to be the thing that comforts them. Right. And the, the explanation isn't, it never is. We don't see Jesus explain things theologically in the midst of pain anywhere in Scripture. Right. I mean, almost the explanation is like there are things that are so horrific and evil that they're inexplicable, period. Exactly. Exactly. And Jesus is okay with operating in that gray. Yeah. And then, it's hard and then for us, too. In the midst of it, he just provides his presence, right? I mean, mm -hmm. think about John 11 when he shows up and and mm. and and... Martha has the perfect theological right. answer for him. I right. believe you are the, the the resurrection and the life, and that you will be mm -hmm. right. And he's like, "Listen, I'm. I mean, I'm just. I'm here, and yeah. you're going to watch resurrection in front of yeah. you right now. Yeah. You know, you look at the Pharisees who were questioning him about the man who was born blind. Like, which one? Mm -hmm. Who did this? Give us some theological explanation. Give us for a reason for who, what was happened. Was it his parents? Was it him? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, "No, it's so mm -hmm. that my glory can be revealed in this. That's too mm -hmm. gray." too nebulous yeah. and pastors yeah. have trouble because they can't put their, their hands on it. Yeah. And so, you know, what I try to help pastors understand is like, just, just be there. Right. Right. Just be just, present. Just be there with your presence. And, and sometimes it's enough to just name the things that are really hard yeah. and really evil so that they come out of darkness. I do right. think this is a, sometimes I, I try to be mindful of like, what, what am I avoiding in my preaching? And is that a place Oof. that the enemy is trying to keep me wow. quiet and keep the church quiet? You know what wow. I mean? Like, is that the very thing that I actually should be leaning that's into? And that's scary. Aubrey. I'm not saying I've Oof. done it yet, but it's a question I hey, often ask myself. And I, I think suicide is that. one of those things. We, yeah. You know, what the listener needs to understand is we kind of deliberate a little bit before we do these, these intros and outros. And there are mm -hmm. times that we come up on topics where I'm like, Ooh, do we want to try to tackle this in <laughs> the six minutes that we have as we right. try to like, com you know, right. talk about this interview? And, and it's like, there, there's fear that rises up in me sometimes mm -hmm. where I'm like, I mean, I don't want somebody to take this the wrong way or I don't want right. to, this is such a nuanced conversation. I don't want to, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, 
man, we just, I, I'm just learning that. And you guys can feed this back to us listeners, but I'm learning that as we lean into these conversations, we lean into the nuance, we lean into the yeah. gray that it ministers to you guys yeah. and, and it ministers to us. It helps us to wade through these things as well. Yeah. To process these things that are, that are sometimes just so out of our, out of yeah. our ability to kind of wrap up in a pretty little package. Yeah. Suicide is certainly one of those things. You know what I thought was fascinating, Davey, mm. is when Matthew Sleeth brought up one of the reasons people don't commit suicide was fear mm. of God. Yeah. Yeah. That stood out to me because you don't. It did. Yeah. You don't really think <clears throat> about fear. Right. Right. Uh, especially fear of God as a reason to stay alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I feel like what was beautiful about it is I think what Dr. Sleeth was talking about was that healthy fear of God. Like exactly. a, yeah. almost like a wanting to um, honor the fact that like a God has made me in his image yeah. and therefore I want to um, affirm that yeah. Yeah. by not taking my own life. I right. want to choose, you know, something that's life affirming, not, you know, life destroying because of a healthy like worship of God or honor of God or awe of God, or at least if maybe that those words might be too strong, but at least knowing like, wow, God is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. And I want to be mindful of the fact that he, he put me here on this planet for a purpose or a reason. Now I I can't, I mean, I'm sort of anecdotally making guesses about someone who's in that mindset, but I, I wonder that that was just interesting to me. Did you think about that one at all? I I did. And you know, what, what, what I started thinking about was like, okay, there is, there's a healthy fear and then there's an unhealthy fear, right? Mm. The unhealthy fear can cause a lot of distorted views of, of who God is and right. that he's a punishing God or that he's mm. this like Zeus like figure that's ready to strike us down when we do something wrong or he's yeah. really, he's ready to send us to hell or something. That's what right? I was thinking. He's going to send yeah. you to so, Hades. So yeah. we have this fear of, you know, eternal damnation for, mm. you know, that. And so, you know, but, but then as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, okay, if fear, whether healthy or unhealthy, um, allows someone to stay here right. on this earth right. so that they have another chance to 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 recognize and understand the purposes for which God created them. Mm. And and have has another chance to to heal through the the pain and the trauma, this woundedness that is causing yeah. them to want to um, to end their life, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if that right there, uh, whether it's healthy or unhealthy is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Right. God is, I'm grateful is using it. Yeah. Because, that's right. you know, and, and yeah, then later if I'm walking with somebody and they came to me, he's like, I was afraid I was going to go to hell. That's why I didn't come, you know, take mm-hmm. my own life. I'd be like, okay, I'm grateful that you're still here. Absolutely. Um, now, now let's walk together. Let's talk about this God yeah. that you're perceived. You know, let's talk about this mm-hmm. thing that because the what I want you to have is this healthy reverence and awe of the Father. I want you to have this perspective that says, "I long to be with God. I, mm. I'm not afraid of Him. I long to. I'm yeah. in awe of Him. I'm long to be with Him. Yeah. But but while we're here on Earth, this is what I used to tell Weston. Weston would go, "I want to be with Mommy Amanda in Heaven." This is a little tiny kid perspective, but Aww. I think it's so good for us. I would say, Weston, I do too. I do too. Mm. And believe me, you know, I didn't tell him this, but I'll tell you as listener, there were times where I, I legitimately thought, I do not know how I can live. Wow. Davey, you know, in these deep, deep places of grief. Mm. But I remember going Weston, I do too, but we've got a lot of people to help while we're here on earth. And when we've helped everybody that we're supposed to help, then Mm. we get to go be with Jesus and we get to go be with mommy, Amanda. Right. Mm. And I just wonder what it would look like if our perspective shifted to that. Wow, we're, we're, we're aliens here. We're not of this. We're not, that's not who we're, we're, this is not our home, but, yeah. but, but, but while we're here, we have a purpose. 
And as long as there's breath in my lungs, as long as like the Lord has kept me alive, I have a purpose and Mm -hmm. I want to carry that out. Mm -hmm. And then I get to go be with Jesus. I think that stems from a healthy fear of God, a healthy awe and reverence, you know? Mm, That's so good. Davey, thank you for sharing that. I don't think I've ever heard you tell that before. Really? So thank you. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. This is like David just used the word healthy fear and he talked Mm. about partnering with God and and the bigger word that David just said was purpose. And of course, that's something that we're passionate about here. Nothing is wasted is you finding your purpose in the middle of your pain journey or because of your pain journey in the midst of your pain journey. And because of that, we would love to invite you to go to nothingiswasted.com. We have the pain to purpose course aptly named. Yeah. Um, We have certified guides. We have community groups. We have all kinds of resources to help you partner with God to take back your story, to find purpose in your pain, and to really, I think, experience that healthy uh, awe, healthy fear of the Lord as he walks with you through your difficult season. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com. Yeah, and you can stay up to date on all of those tools, all of those resources. If you subscribe to our email list right there on our website, uh, we're going to we're gonna send you updates on new podcast releases, new bonus episode releases, stuff that's behind our, our new membership platform that we're un- unveiling and our new community platform that we're unveiling, giveaways, blog posts, ministry updates, all kinds of stuff. So make sure you subscribe to our email list. We would also love for you to go and uh, listen to Sleeping at Last because he has been so gracious to provide all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm telling you, it's gonna it's great music, whether you're just kind of sitting at home and you're Seriously, wanting so to good. experience getting your feels or if you want to, if it's great work music. So go listen to his music anywhere where you can download and stream music. And, uh, and we'd love for you to follow us on Instagram. Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Uh, you can follow me at Davey Blackburn and you can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. Next week, we are joined by Jim and Ginger Ravella. This is another episode that you are not going to want to miss. Their story is deeply powerful and really relevant for Veterans Day. So we're very excited to share their story with you. Let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davey's conversation with Jim and Ginger Ravella. I married my college sweetheart. His name was Troy. He was a, a Texas boy, and he was the son of an Air Force family. So uh, he he was familiar with that life. I wasn't, um, but I just fell in love with him and would have followed him till you know whatever he was going to do. And so you know we had a busy life, and uh, Troy was instructing guys how to fly the F sixteen in the Air Force. He was working for President Bush as uh, as uh, and advanced agent for Air Force One, and he was the wing commander's executive flying aide. So he was super busy, but, you know, it was not supposed to be an assignment where he was going to deploy. And so kind of rested in that, even though he worked 12-hour days, it was okay because he wasn't going in harm's way in my mind. And so when he left, it was it was a, a turn of events that, you know, I wasn't expecting, but, um, but I also was super confident that the four and a half months would be the hardest that I'd probably ever gone through in my life, but also, um, I was so proud of him and I thought, you know, this has an end, this has an end date. Yeah. And so, um, three months into that deployment, when I got a knock at the front door on a Monday morning, right after Thanksgiving, uh, I can't say that it was a scenario I'd ever played through in my mind. Mm-hmm. 